This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Why should we particularly care what the early church fathers have to say about Christ the Savior? Is it not enough to know that God exists and that he rewards the just, as the letter to the Hebrews proclaims? Or that Christ died for our sins, as Paul preaches? Or that God so loved the world, as John writes? Let me put the question more pointedly. Perhaps the early church fathers are not the best interlocutors if we wish to know about Jesus. The great historian, although much contested historian, of dogma, Adolf von Harnack, argued that the early church, in the development of its doctrine, suffered a process of Hellenization. As the Hellenic culture, the Greek categories of philosophy, and the tendency to see the divine in the human encroached upon the simple message of Jesus, which was the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. Beneath the husk of metaphysics and of culture, Harnack argued, dwells the primitive and authentic message of Jesus. Remove the husk and one has the truth. So we might ask, why a conference about the husk? I will not delay us by exploring the ways in which Harnack's own Enlightenment-informed culture of good citizenship and brotherhood of man, along with his general distrust of what cannot be seen, may have shaped his assessment of Jesus Christ. But to put the question to the church fathers, why should the fathers of Mesopotamia, of Greece, and of Rome have anything to tell us today about Jesus when we have the scriptures? And the faith. First, I would suggest the church fathers were not victims of their cultures, rather, they transformed it. In fact, what we find in patristic theology is the struggle to receive the gospel in a way that will do justice to the scriptural text within the rule of faith given by the apostles and handed down by the life and preaching of the church. But if this is how the early church fathers saw their office and their activities, what can we say about their relationship to their culture? Theirs was a struggle, in their view, to receive Christ as revealing something previously unimaginable, the inner life of a transcendent and tri-personal God. Patristic theology, then, is not the reshaping of the Christian message by Hellenistic thought. It involves the transformation of Hellenism, the turning of it inside out, or the exploding of it from within, such that the remote one of the Hellenistic world becomes the tri-personal God, self-giving in his essence and life, and oriented toward self-gift to the world and the creatures that he has made. This is no middle Platonist doctrine, neither is it a pagan doctrine of avatars and gods coming to earth to enjoy a bit of fun? But we can ask further, why did it matter to the early church fathers to forge this common philosophical, metaphysical, and ultimately evangelical vocabulary to forge the theologies of hypostasis and ousia that we still sometimes struggle to understand today? They sought to reflect on God, 
not to replace the faith in God by intellectual idols, as I once replaced the girl that I had a crush on in chorus class with Arthurian love poetry that I wrote without ever speaking to her. I found that's a poor way to get to know a girl. They instead sought to reflect on the God who had presented himself to them, to know him as a friend, and to even participate in his life. Theologia, as understood by the early church fathers, is not the ancient myth-making of the Greek poets, but it is an account of God oriented toward a relationship with him. What is gained then from the struggle of faith-seeking understanding, what is gained in the theologies of the early church fathers is the revelation of a God who did not send an emissary, but came himself, a God who gives himself to us by living our life, a God who underwent the sufferings and the joys of human life in the most profound act of compassion that could not have been imagined by the Hellenistic antecedents of Christianity. Lastly, the God who invites humankind to join in that life and to share in it beyond the imagination of human categories. This will be the subject of our conference. But we can return to the first question, perhaps more mildly this time, and ask, why the Church Fathers? Why not the catechism of one's particular Christian denomination? Why not some suitably modern theologian who will at least say what he means and not bedevil us with strange Greek words and outmoded ways of thought? Well, we must think as the Church Fathers did. We must struggle. Our struggle to receive the Fathers, our struggle to understand and to penetrate their thought, makes us aware of our own situation in a culture which is, in very different ways, but still perhaps to the same degree of intensity, as ill-suited to the Christian message as was the culture of the Fathers in their day. It is our hidden assumptions that also need revision. Hidden assumptions that come to life, that are extricated into the light, and are understood and can be revised in our own struggle to understand what the fathers say. The degree to which we cannot hear these ancient voices is the degree to which we have these assumptions, our materialist assumptions, our notion of the mind as organizing propositions rather than clinging by knowledge and love to a reality. So in the end, neither the fathers, nor we, nor Adolf von Harnack can remove the husk. Culture and thought are not a husk, but a lens. And so that lens must be ground down. It must be transformed. It must be tuned by the encounter with what is strange until the strange can become familiar unto the stretching of our own minds. And in that stretching, in the study of the fathers, we may encounter the face of Christ anew in the thoughts that were thought of old. Thank you very much.